Our Bible reading today is 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verses 12 to 19. And in the Pew Bible it's in the, on 1129. Paul's concern for the Corinthians. Verse 12. The things that mark an apostle signs, wonders and miracles were done among you with great perseverance. How were you inferior to the other churches except that I was never a burden to you? Forgive me this wrong. Now I am ready to visit you for the third time and I will not be a burden to you because what I want is not your possessions but you. After all, children should not have to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. So I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. If I love you more, will you love me less? But that as is it may, I have not been a burden to you. Yet, crafty fellow that I am, I caught you by trickery. Did I exploit you through any of the men I sent you? I urged Titus to go to you. I sent our brother with him. Titus did not exploit you, did he? Did we not act in the same spirit and follow the same course? Have you been thinking all along that we have been defended been defending ourselves to you, we have speaking in the sight of God as those in Christ, and everything we do, dear friends, is for your strengthening. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we're going to be dealing with, as the heading in the Bible basically talks about, the concerns of Paul for the Corinthian church. But we're talking about here the concerns of a true pastor, what a true pastor will be concerned with for his church. There's no doubt whatsoever that during the years that uh, Paul was serving in the various churches as he traveled around and planted them, there would have been some mundane issues involved in those churches as well popping up from day to day as they do. Pastoral issues that would demand maybe his time, they would want him to do something about it. Uh, The list could be as long as anything. Churches in those early days would have indeed had a lot of the same issues that we are having to deal with and handle even today. They would not have had maybe the tons of red tape and government regulation that we are dealing with Uh, They would neither have had any maintenance of church properties and all those sort of things, but otherwise it would have been a fairly normal church as we know it and as this letter indeed speaks to. He addresses issues of sinfulness. He deals with the, the people that are not caring for each other, not supporting each other, and indeed also churches 
that are in need and are not supported or maybe are supported. And if we read carefully through this letter, we'll find that the common theme that he is urging his followers, the followers of Jesus Christ, is not just to read and to gain knowledge of what we have in the Bible or what Christ has taught us uh, when we read the scriptures, but he's urging them that they read it, learn it, and live by it. Not an academic faith, but a truly living faith. That's what Paul wants them to have. On the very top of his concerns is that continuously we find it is Jesus and the gospel that it underpins everything he teaches. It's clear to us when we read his letters that he sees everything and he approaches everything he does in light of Jesus and the gospel. It's always there at the center. And that really must, or it should be, the absolute focus on any minister of any church of the world anywhere. But let us listen and learn from Paul and let us pray that we will understand what he is actually giving us here in this short passage. Let us pray. Our loving Father, we come to you to ask that you will bless us with insight, that you will bless us with an open mind that we will understand. And bless us indeed, Lord, with a faithful heart that we will change those things, that we will change the things we do wrong and the the things we don't do enough of, that we may indeed live a life that is a faith-driven, Christ-driven life altogether. These things we pray in his name. Amen. Well, leading into what ought to be the focus and at the very center of the life of a pastor, Paul here explains his true place and as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Again, this all forms part of his ongoing but also necessary defense of his own apostleship appointed by none other than Jesus Christ. These two verses alone should be ample teaching for some claiming today that they too are and indeed an apostle. See, the twelve disciples and the two additional latent disciples, namely Matthias and Paul, were totally unique in history. And that is exactly what Paul is saying us to here. I'll go back to verse 11. He says, I have made a fool of myself, but you drove me to it. You, I ought to have been commended by you, for I am not the least inferior to the super apostles, even though I am nothing. To be called and appointed in person, to be commissioned by Jesus in person, as Paul had been, certainly sets him apart in a Christian world even though he declares himself to be nothing, it simply means that he knows he is nothing without Christ. And so he continues to explain what the difference is between a follower of Jesus and that of an apostle of Christ. In verse 12, the things that mark an apostle, signs, wonders, and miracles, were done among you with great perseverance. How were you then inferior to other churches except that I was never a burden to you? Forgive me for this wrong. The apostle had a -a one-of-a-kind 
non-repeatable, non-transferable role in the history of the church. I could not, as an apostle, hand that on to you. That is not for me. That is not for Paul to hand on. It is only for Christ to authorize you to be an apostle. To fail to actually understand the significance of that role as an apostle is to have an incomplete understanding of the history of redemption. Jesus said to the twelve, Truly I say to you, He who receives whomever I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. He's locked it all in. The terms apostle is used often in the Northern New Testament. Northern Territory, yeah, NT. And it basically means messenger. But the term that is used when Jesus speaks of the apostle, he speaks in Aramaic. And effectively that means like himself. And we know that Jesus gave the twelve and Paul the power of healing and the power of signs and wonders. Because he sent them out to do just that. So even if someone today considers themselves a messenger, they most certainly cannot ever lay claim to the title of apostleship. In the sense that the twelve and Paul indeed had. The Corinthian church, and we as his church here at Woodford today, must have this truth firmly in our hearts so we can actually distinguish clearly between a false teacher and a messenger of God, called and redeemed by Christ alone. Having that out of the way now, where Paul is now ready to speak to them, and he speaks to them here now as their pastor. In verse 14, Now I'm ready to visit you for the third time, and I will not be a burden to you, because what I want is not your possessions, but you. Paul is never interested in, or indeed seeking, worldly wealth or status. He is not seeking fame or favor. His entire life, his entire being, is driven by the same desire as Christ, to see people saved and matured in their faith, and prepare them to stand before the Lord on that day. In fact, since we already know that there's absolutely nothing that you and I can offer to bring about our own salvation, then indeed, why would Paul want anything you may or may not offer him? He wouldn't want anything from us, would he? The same should also then be true from any pastor or minister in 2020 and beyond. No matter how much or how little a church offers to pay their minister, I ought not have one iota of difference in how he conducts his ministry. Not one. Every year a new book comes out and I proclaim to be the remedy for any pastor looking to grow the size of his congregation and ministry. It is all the secrets of life that comes out in these books every year. The truth is, the finite and the only remedy that will build the kingdom and build the church is scripture, is God's word, nothing else. As we know from reading 1 Timothy 3, 16 to 17, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, correction, for training in righteousness, 
that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. It is in the Bible. Scripture instructs us in how we are to think, how we are to speak, and how we are to live. It's all in there. Being a disciple of Christ isn't a matter of one or the other. It is truly our life commitment. It is all parts of your life, your day, your body. Jesus Christ lived that Paul and others in the Bible are our role models and for some that presents a problem. Some just don't like that role model we've been given. Jesus suffered greatly and died. Paul and others suffered greatly and they also died for the gospel. So how big is my commitment supposed to be? We could ask ourselves. I won't get into what that means for you. That is, after all, totally, solely between you and God, how you see and understand that. But for my own sake, I know my commitment needs to be great. I'm not only too aware of how much I have been forgiven and how much it had cost the Father to make all that possible. I only know that much too well. That's also why I would like to be able to say what Paul says. I'd love to. In verse 15. So I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. If I love you more, will you love me less? I would love to be able to say that. Love you more or love me less. Words that make us wonder sometimes. When we speak of the love of Jesus, there can be no greater love than that. He could not love me or you more than he already has. Could I love you more? Certainly. But do I have the capacity of Jesus? Well, no, I don't. Not yet. And if I faithfully preach and teach the truth of Jesus and do the very best I can do to love and care for you and your family, would you have then any reason to love me less? Just as such words and questions spurs us on to think of such things, we should think of how we ourselves behave and live our lives in light of the model we've been given, both through Christ but also like men like Paul and Daniel and Nehemiah, and we can go through the list of them. Wonderful men, giving us role models how we should live. Back in verse 13 we read, How were you inferior to the other churches except that I was never a burden to you? Forgive me for this wrong. Paul had not been a burden to the Corinthian church. And he's saying that he should have been. It is part of learning and serving. It's a part of testing the people's commitment in that church. And to be a Christian means sacrifice. And part of that is also to support the one who is called to teach and care for you and for the church. That is part of a Christian's walk. But then he continues in verse 16. Be that as it may, I have not been a burden to you. Yet crafty fellow that I am, I caught you by trickery. <laughs> he is simply ridiculing the false teachers in that statement. Absolutely. 
He perpetrated no trickery on them whatsoever. He was never crafty or deceitful with them. He was never a burden to them and did not have any plans to ever become a burden on them. In verse 17, he goes on. He said, did I exploit you through any of the men I sent you? Perfection is a difficult thing, of course, to achieve. Such as to ask a question, is either courageous or it is simply silly. In today's world, that could mean a lot of things. Having been exploited is in the mind of the person you speak to. And today, that is literally a minefield. Paul, however, is asking in real terms if he or anyone that has been with him or that he has sent has ever deceived them of anything. Paul fully knows the answer to this question. Still saying you really should know the answer before you ask the question. (laughs) Otherwise, you might be surprised. And the answer to any of that is contrary will be the result of the deceitful false teachers is doing and they have no basis in the truth that God's given us. Again, this speaks to the true focus that should be had by all pastors and ministers of churches. Paul then goes even deeper. In verse 18, I urged Titus to go to you, and I sent our brother with him. Titus did not exploit you, did he? Paul knows. Titus would never have done anything that he himself wouldn't have done. Titus would have done exactly as he had seen Paul do all these years. Did we not act in the same spirit and follow the same course, he says. Of course he did. Was not our mission, was not our purpose, all driven by the same values and the same love, For the Lord Jesus Christ in response to his saving grace and his atoning sacrifice on the cross. Wasn't that the driving force of both Paul, Titus, Timothy and everyone else that was sent? And should that also not be the driving force of every minister put in every church everywhere? Paul is wanting the people here in Corinth to search their minds and heart to seek the truth that he's been telling them. That both he and Timothy and Titus have all been genuine messengers of Christ and everything they've said and done have been for the benefit of the church, benefit of the people in the church and not for Paul and Timothy and Titus. Which is what he told him in verse 15. I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. And we know he did. When you read this sort of passage, you get the understanding that Paul is so incredibly confident in his ministry and his life that he can and he dare put out the claims that he just did. Pretty courageous, I would say to you. I, for one, do not think I could nor should even contemplate putting that sort of claim out. That would be silly. For any minister of the word... Today, to lay such claim would be, well, absolute foolishness. I have certainly not met anyone that could, in all seriousness, make claims what Paul has just laid. I don't know a minister in all the years that I've been around that could lay that claim, ever. I wouldn't think even a man like Calvin 
or Jonathan Edwards or Spurgeon, none of them would want to lay a claim like that, that they lived the same life as what Paul did. Having said that, however, that does not mean that every minister or pastor should not strive and persevere every day of their lives to meet such lofty standards. Of course they should. Let me reiterate the truth that apostles commissioned personally by the Lord Jesus Christ and possibly some of the men having been mentored by an apostle, men like Titus, would have been thoroughly affected by the life and ministry of a, uh, of a man like Paul and would have indeed had a much greater understanding, if that could be, that the commitment required by anyone that is saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and how they should be serving. Titus would have had that from Paul, and Paul had it from Jesus. That's only years apart. This brings me to today's churches, and indeed, ministers in churches today. You would have to think and trust that each man feeling a call to serve the Lord and his gospel would have such an understanding, and hence, therefore, also such great commitment to treat his word with utmost care and treat his elect, you, with abundant love. That's a minister's duty. True. But any such minister will sooner or later need some help and support. Support from the church that he serves in to be able to stay on track and through this combined effort be able to stay focused and persevere in reaching that level of commitment that is required, that Paul displays in Corinth in spite of the trouble that that church has caused him. There's probably no church that has caused him more trouble than Corinth, and yet he loves them, he serves them, and is not a burden to them. In verse 19, Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you we have been speaking in the sight of God as those in Christ and everything we do, dear friends, is for your strengthening. All what we have talked about here today must be the concern of a true pastor. It is never about modern systems or programs. It is never about a popularity or status. It is always about honouring Jesus Christ and paying him the honour and giving him the glory. That is everything there is. For that to happen and for that to be the focus, the minister will need your love, your honesty and your combined wisdom to even guide him as he seeks to serve you each and every week in the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a partnership. It is the church, the elect, the pastor that needs to come together to make the focus being Jesus Christ. It is what we do together. It is how we honour Christ with our lives. That's what Paul wants us to understand. Let's pray. Our loving and gracious Father, we come to you to ask that you will indeed open our hearts and minds to what we have read. That if need be, we reread it, Lord, and ponder it in our hearts. 
that we may come to a deeper understanding of our part in the ministry that you have given us, that you have called us to. Each and every one of us have been called. We are your elect. We have our names in your book of life and we know we will be with you one day. But Lord, bless us with a life that honours you, that loves each other, a life that truly shows we care. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have